from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up on this uh, Monday edition, well, Friday night, it appeared that the effort to select a speaker would carry over into this week. But then late Friday night or in the wee hours of Saturday, California Congressman Kevin McCarthy was able to secure the votes needed to become the speaker of the 118th Congress. You know, my father always told me, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And now we need to finish strong for the American people. Well, the process of securing the votes was one of negotiations with uh, conservative members of the Freedom Caucus, which, as I predicted last week, yielded much fruit. Now, the outcome was a win for everyone, everyone except the left, who would rather see power held in the hands of a few. We're going to talk about it with one of the principal negotiators, North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop, in just a moment. And there is a new political reality in Israel with what some describe as the most conservative government in Israel's history. Well, yesterday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu defended his coalition government's judicial reforms. The attempt to restore the right balance between the branches is not a destruction of democracy, but the strengthening of democracy. But there's no doubt that this must be done responsibly and with discretion, and so it will be done. We're going to talk about uh, Israel's efforts to wrestle with the judiciary with CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell. A little later here on the program. And new records obtained out of Colorado reveal more about Democrat Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's mailer to 31,000 foreign nationals, inviting them to register to vote in this past false election. Jay Christian Adams joins us with those details. And finally, I'm sure you've noticed something about sports betting. In the last couple of years, there have been more and more advertisements for sports betting. Well, a 2018 Supreme Court decision was really like a starting gun for states to begin pursuing sports betting in an effort to beat out neighboring states in pursuit of easy money. Well, how has that worked out? What do we know of the 32 states that have legalized sports betting? We're going to talk about it with gambling expert Professor John Kite a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you miss anything along the way. It's right there. You can visit it at any time, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, thanks to the thousands of you who have already signed the petition to Walgreens and CVS about their proposed actions to become community abortion facilities by selling the abortion pill. Now, you can still sign this petition. This all started because of the FDA changing their rules. And so now these pharmacies are going to become abortion facilities. You can sign the petition. Simply text the word pharmacy, that's P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, pharmacy, to 67742. That's the number, 67742, or visit TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 11 and 12. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah's prophetic message some 200 years prior to the release of the Jewish nation from Babylon was designed to encourage them to step out in faith. The principles of this word of instruction and encouragement have bearing on us today. 
The unknown is often intimidating. Living for the Lord and stepping out in faith to stand on his promises, it's not easy. But the Lord says he'll go before you to lead you, and he'll go behind you to protect you. The Lord did it for them. He'll do it for you, too. To be a part of our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, it took 15 votes throughout four days of tense negotiations, but the House of Representatives now has a new speaker. California Republican Kevin McCarthy was elected to the post in a session that began late Friday night and stretched into the early hours of Saturday morning. This is a moment of transition. As we transition from one Congress to the next, from one majority to the next, from a year of, from a year of accomplishment, a year of accomplishment to a year of ambiguity. Well, that was the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries of New York, handing over the gavel to the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And like many in the, leg- in the legacy media, there has been a lot of efforts to portray last week's historic events as troubling, as if the Republicans were without a rudder. Well, as I said last week, throughout the course of the entire week, this was, yes, sometimes a painful process, but it was a necessary process. It was one that we should be witnessing every time we have a transition in government. It would, I would much rather the issues of substance be wrestled with in public rather than be predecided in rooms where no one even knows what's going on. This was a healthy and beneficial process. And one of the men behind this effort that helped negotiate a change to the rules package in a way going forward that I think is going to cause the GOP to be more accountable is Congressman Dan Bishop. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Homeland Security Committee. He represents North Carolina's 8th Congressional District. He's one of the members of the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm so glad to be with you again. And I want to commend you and congratulate you on a a process at times that was tough. It was uh, the outcome probably unknown. But I would argue, and I think you would agree, we're in a much better place today than we were a week and a half ago. There's no, no doubt about it at all, Tony. In fact, referring back to the clip you played of Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, speaking, it was about avoiding ambiguity, about clarifying what we're going to accomplish together as Republicans across the next two years on behalf of not lobbyists, not special interests in Washington, but on behalf of the American people. And so, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned the one part of the agreement, uh, sweeping and historic changes to the rules under which the House majority operates or the House operates so that we have, for example, single purpose or uh, single uh, uh, single purpose rule that and and the germaneness rule that will re- avoid these horrible 1.7 trillion dollar omnibus appropriations bills that have everything stuck in them you can imagine and some things you can't imagine and that get dropped on the uh, out in public about uh, 35 hours or so before they're they're enacted we we have uh, we're we're working to avoid that. We've got the return of the Holman rule, in which 
we can zero out specific offices within the bureaucracy or even salaries. So like a Dr. Fauci who's abusing power, we can deal with it directly from Congress. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the return of the device that has always been a part of the United States House of Representatives, because it's always been part of parliamentary law until Nancy Pelosi, the motion to vacate the chair. And that's not going to be used, I don't think, at all. Uh, but it is it needed to be returned because it's it, 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 what we've seen. The problem is we've insulated leadership too much rather than holding them accountable and bringing in many voices from around the Congress. Uh, now, Dan, many um, in the legacy media I made reference to, but even conservatives, some conservative pundits uh, lamenting this process, saying that this this has weakened the Republicans going into it. And you made the point yesterday um, you were on one of the Sunday shows on, uh, I think, Meet the Press, and, and I agree with you. you. You stated that this is actually going to make us stronger because we've dealt with these minor things and these things, well, not all minor, some of them very substantive, but we've dealt with these up front. So we have a, a clear playing field and an, an, an understanding of one another going forward. That's exactly right, Tony. And it is, you know, beyond the rules that I've described at the up, uh, up front. What we really accomplish is remarkable is an agreement on legislative policy strategy, not just a question of what messaging bills we'll put up, but what will, what fights will we go to the mat for for the American people? We have an agreement we're going to have a balanced budget uh, or bring a budget to the floor that balances within 10 years, that we're going to limit next year the fiscal 24 spending to uh, fiscal year 22 levels and uh, of non of uh, discretionary spending, and uh, we're going to allow every appropriations bill to have amendments that come to the floor. They don't get stopped in the rules committee. It, it's there's quite a lot of good stuff here. And to the point that you made, it it is really re lamentable. I believe that conservative commentators decried the effort as it was underway. There's one fellow who wants to have a convention come together, an Article 5 convention, to change the United States Constitution. But he thought it was intolerably risky to extend for a couple of days Kevin McCarthy's coronation as speaker after having been in leadership for 14 years. I just don't understand that kind of thinking. Anyone who is in the conservative world and believes that we can sit around up here in, in Congress and sort of drift into the next two years has no idea what time it is in America. We yeah. must begin reforms, and we are now on a path to do so. I agree 100 percent. And those on the left that were lamenting, saying, well, this is just a, this is a, an extension of January 6th, you know, two years ago of what we saw. This is what prevents January 6th, because it, it ends the suppression of the voice of the people by giving them, through legitimate means, their constitutional rights that they have through their representatives. And so, again, I, I commend you on this. And another aspect that the, the people have been calling for, I mean, going back years, even before the Trump administration, was congressional investigative authority into for instance, the Department of Justice that's been politicized. You negotiated that, and, and that's going to be a key part of this 118th Congress. Tell us about it. That is a special project of mine, Tony, the so-called church-style committee. Now, a lot of your listeners and some folks who are not initiated or don't, you know, details of Washington may think we're talking about a, you know, something having to do with religion. That's not what it means. It refers to Frank Church, who is a senator, actually a liberal Democrat from 1975, 
there was a Senate Select Committee set up because there had been a number of revelations in media about abuses by the intelligence community, both in foreign covert operations as well as domestic intelligence operations against the American citizens, infiltrating and uh, monitoring people's exercise of First Amendment associational and free speech rights. Well, uh, the church committee was, was famous. We're going to do it even bigger. If anything has happened in the last 47 years since the church committee, it is that the intel state, the deep state, if you will, has gotten much bigger, much broader, and much more powerful. The Twitter files that Elon Musk has allowed to come to light are the most recent, perhaps, uh, indication of what that is. It was important to me, Kevin McCarthy committed to do such a committee, and so during those last final, those final hours uh, last week, we were pounding out the details of the authority that would be furnished to that committee so that it can get at all the agencies it needs to. It has all the authority to get at the uh, information that it needs, and no doubt the executive branch will attempt to stonewall, but we now have an historic opportunity to set right the relationship between the federal bureaucracy and the American citizen. Dan Bishop, uh, again, I want to commend you in, uh, in the Freedom Caucus and the others that stood with you in, in, in not yielding to the pressure from the outside, staying focused like a laser on your mission. And uh, we're grateful for it. And again, optimistic going into this 118th session of Congress. Good to see you. Thank you, Tony. As am I. The American people deserve it. Yes. All right. As I said, the outcome was good. All right. Coming up, CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell joins me from Jerusalem for an update as Benjamin Netanyahu begins his sixth term in office. That's next. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu began his sixth term in office late last month with a platform that includes expanding the Jewish presence throughout the Holy Land with increased settlements in the biblical lands of Judea, Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank. In the coming weeks, officials from the Biden administration, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, have scheduled trips to Israel for meetings with the Prime Minister. You know, what else can we expect from Netanyahu's return to power with a governing coalition that has been described as the most conservative in the country's history? Well, here with me to discuss this and more is Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News, coming to us now from Jerusalem. Chris, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, uh, Tony, and uh, Happy New Year. Thank you, sir, and Happy New Year to you as well. Right. The prime minister campaigned and was democratically elected on the policy of advancing and developing settlements in all parts of the land of Israel. And as I made reference, this new governing coalition has been described as the most conservative in the country's history. Is that accurate? I think that is accurate, Tony. It is uh, most conservative and uh it's a combination of the Likud party, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, party with uh, over 30 seats, and then four religious parties, uh, which make up his 64-seat uh, coalition. Uh, it's very conservative. It's also very religious. Uh, and so I think uh, we're going to see some perhaps uh, confrontations, and we already have. Uh, just a few days ago, the National Security Minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, uh, he went up on the Temple Mount. It was a 13-minute visit. And uh, believe it or not, that sparked an emergency session of the uh, U.N. Security Council. Uh, we did a story that, on that today in CBN News. And uh, I think that kind of uh, confrontation, I think, is going to be something that may mark uh, this government uh, in relations to the international community uh, with places like the U.N. and the U.S. administration. That's interesting, Chris, because that is a sharp contrast with the previous uh, administration there in Israel, which was more, I would say, seeking to be compliant with the U.S. policy as opposed to Benjamin Netanyahu, who seems to be like the energizer bunny. I mean, he just keeps going. And I think he is in much better position to drive policy than I think a Biden administration when it comes to that part of the world. Yeah, exactly. And the the uh, former 
government led by first Naftali Bennett and then Yair Lapid really was in many ways sort of in lockstep with the uh, Biden administration, particularly on matters like uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yair Lapid, uh, for the first time in a number of years, was an Israeli prime minister who uh, called for a two-state solution. Uh, compliant, I think, is a good word, a good term of how the former government worked with the Biden administration. And I think this government, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, no stranger, uh, the longest-serving Israeli prime minister, and uh, worked with several U.S. presidents, as well as uh, President Biden uh, as a vice president and certainly as a U.S. senator. Uh, I think he's going to be much more uh, willing uh, to, uh, to be confrontational, uh, but also, you know, trying to do that in a, in a, a diplomatic way. But I think he's going to, uh, with this government, <clears throat> really take steps that will uh, may not please the, uh, the, the current uh, occupant of the, uh, the White House. Two things that I have read that really um, strike out, uh, stick out to me. One in the co confrontational role is the uh, new governing coalition taking on the courts, the Supreme Court there in Israel, which has kind of been left leaning. You know, not, uh, not that's not radical in terms of uh, taking on the court. We've seen that here in the United States and how the court steers things. But then also on the diplomatic side to counter the United States in this uh, pursuit of a deal with Iran, that there is uh, negotiations of normalizing, uh, uh, actually an agreement with Saudi Arabia to normalize relations there. Uh, tell us about those two things. Well, two things, uh, uh, Tony. First of all, in judicial reform, uh, some people are calling what the Likud is asking for, and the, uh, one of the, uh, the justice ministers part of the Likud party, and he's uh, calling for judicial reform. Some are calling it here the end of democracy. Uh, however, others argue that it, what they're doing is trying to rebalance what had been uh, not only left-leaning, but really the judicial uh, arm of the government here had really been independent of any executive uh, oversight. Uh, and so that's what they're trying to bring back to a balance. Uh, for example, uh, many times the justices would uh, select their own uh, successors. And so that's why one thing uh, the Likud real actually ran on uh, judicial reform. Uh, the other thing on terms of, uh, uh, you know, rapprochement with uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, that's something that Netanyahu said was one of his main goals, uh, even before uh, the election, was that he would want to bring Saudi Arabia into the, uh, into the Abraham Accords. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier today on background, and they were saying, that uh, really the, the difficulty for Saudi Arabia coming into the Abraham Accords isn't Israel, but the U.S. And uh, they want to know, uh, they, they're kind of leery of how the U.S. would respond uh, to that. And it, you, as you know, for the last couple of years, it's been a very tense, fractured relationship between the, the White House, the Biden White House, and uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, so I think that's actually something that maybe Israel can broker uh, between the U.S. And, uh, and, and Saudi Arabia and perhaps bring them back into, or not back, but actually for the first time, uh, into the Abraham Accords, which would be a game changer here in the Middle East. Fascinating to see all of this unfold there in the Middle East. I mean, 10 years ago, you never would have envisioned this, but Iran is, is really kind of pushing many of these uh, predominantly Muslim countries in into a friendly posture with uh, with Israel. Chris, we've got 30 seconds left. How should Christians be praying for Israel right now? 
Well, certainly pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for wisdom for Benjamin Netanyahu. He's a lot on his plate. He has a, a very, as you said, conservative uh, uh, administration right now. He needs wisdom how to deal with that. I would also pray for the people of Iran, uh, Tony. You know, their revolution has been going on over 100 days now. Could 2023 be the time when uh, the regime actually falls? That would be a huge game changer for the Middle East and the world. So those people certainly need prayer. Yes. And, and, and a government in the United States that would back them up, those who are seeking freedom. It's good to see that Israel will be backing up those looking for freedom. I, I hope America will do the same. Chris Mitchell, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Tony. All good prayer points, and uh, we should be adding those to our prayer list. Well, coming up next, just weeks before last year's midterm election, Colorado Secretary of State sent mailers to more than 31,000 foreign nationals urging them to register to vote. They said it was a mistake, but we've got new documents. We talk about it next. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Just weeks before last year's midterm elections, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's office sent mailers to more than 31,000 foreign nationals throughout the state, urging them to register to vote. Now, they claim that this was an honest mistake, but since this act was uncovered, Griswold's office has focused more on damage control than answering questions that could get to the bottom of any investigation to answer the question, how did this happen? 
And why do these so-called honest mistakes always seem to benefit Democrats? Well, joining me now to uh, discuss this is Jay Christian Adams, president of Public Interest Legal Foundation, which has led the way on filing Freedom of Information Act request with the state of Colorado. Uh, Jay Christian Adams, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony, for having me. All right. So uh, provide a little more background on what happened here in Colorado. So the Colorado Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, who all, all happened to be on the ballot, I might add, last year in the November election, just before the election, sent out mailers to 31,000 non-citizens, inviting them to register to vote. Uh, now, of course, they're not eligible to vote. Uh, but she sent out these mailers. It was eventually discovered they went to non-citizens, and that's pretty much all we know because they're not really forthcoming about what happened after that. So, but they immediately tried to, to fix this uh, by going to the local counties and saying, hey, we inadvertently mailed these people, so we want to make sure they don't vote. Here are their names. Uh, my tongue is they, in my cheek. Right. I wish they had done that. That would have been the right course of action is to put on a be on the lookout alert to the counties of these names in each county and saying, whatever you do, don't register them to vote. Instead, what Jenna Griswold, the Secretary of State, did was not tell the counties answers to their questions, not give them the names, but instead say, oh, we'll take care of everything here in Denver, don't you worry. And whenever the Public Interest Legal Foundation asked for uh, communications and, and public records, we found the counties were upset that they weren't getting these names because they didn't know what to look out for. Uh, and we don't know whether or not any of them registered to vote because they're hiding the names from the public. They're just saying, don't worry about it. We've taken care of everything. But I don't think you can trust an election official who sends invitations to vote to a, a Russian or Canadian citizen really deserves a lot of leeway. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not the expert on this, but a, a foreign national registering to vote is a federal crime. And so if you're working to cover this up, are they not aiding in the covering up of a crime? Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons they might have decided to not be forthcoming, because there's such sympathy, uh, particularly in offices like Jenna Griswold's, uh, for anybody who makes, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, a mistake on a form. We don't want to punish anybody. They, they basically shut down election crime enforcement in large parts of the country and I suspect that's probably what's going on here to some degree, is they wouldn't dare want to do anything to any of these people who registered to vote. And in your request for information, as you said, that the only thing you've been able to, to, to get out of them is it looks like a, a paper trail suggesting they were scrambling to cover this thing up. Any idea, was this intentional? Was it inadvertent? I mean, what, what do we know about the, what prompted this? Well, we know that somebody intentionally decided to mail a list without looking at all the facts, the fact being, hey, this guy's uh, from China or this guy's from uh, Paraguay. Uh, so they intentionally decided to mail a list without doing any due diligence or even the basics, uh, inviting foreign nationals to register to vote. If they gave us the records, we would be able to see what the motives were, who screwed up, what was done to fix it. But see, that's one of the problems with government these days, Tony, is when they make mistakes, they don't like the public to see the details, and they don't like the public to hold anybody accountable. 
So can we anticipate that there might be some legal action here to try to get this information from them? Well, for sure, because we need to know whether any of these people registered to vote and voted. Remember, people could be deported for uh, voting uh, when they're not eligible to. When they fill out their green card naturalization forms, uh, they could get deported if they registered to vote. So maybe that's one of the reasons Griswold didn't tell the public the full story, because she doesn't want anybody deported. Whatever. The mistake was made. Atone for it. Figure out how to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. But, but even if you got a, an invitation to register, granted, shouldn't have gotten it, but if they got it and they registered, they should have known that they're not an American citizen and they cannot a, a vote in, 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 in federal elections. Uh, Jay Christian Adams, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you another question. Generally speaking, are you encouraged by the pro- progress that's being made in many states across the nation to in- address election integrity? Yeah, absolutely. There's been incredible strides legislatively in states. Not all states, Tony. I mean, you still have, you know, Michigan is Michigan. It doesn't have a a, a governor that will sign anything. But in a lot of states, good things are happening. Good things are happening in the courts. We held Delaware to account to not have unconstitutional early voting and mail voting. Courts have made some good decisions in places, incredible cases like in Wisconsin uh, and so forth. So, There's progress being made. It's a long, hard fight. Lots of forces on the other side, but, you know, what else is new? Well, I want to commend you for the work that you guys are doing. It's uh, it's great. It's important because it's restoring confidence in our system of elections. Jay Christian Adams, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, coming up, more states are in a scramble to legalize sports betting. Are they ignoring the effects of these policies? We're going to discuss this after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. As I mentioned at the top of the program, thousands of you have already signed the petition to Walgreens and to CVS. As we talked about extensively last week, the FDA unilaterally changing some rules to allow these pharmacies to sell the abortion pill. Now, what's happened since uh, really in the last couple of years, but last year in particular, we've now seen chemical abortions, the abortion pill, be the majority of abortions in this country. Over over 50% of abortions are done through this pill. Now, what's happening is that as abortion clinics are closing down, the FDA, the Biden administration, is wanting to get Walgreens, CVS, and other pharmacies into the abortion business. So now we're going to have pharmacies that are going to be abortion facilities on almost every corner. I mean, just I, I mean, it's, it's hard to go through a major intersection in any particular city and not have a drugstore on a couple of the corners. They're everywhere. And this is the effort of the FDA, the Biden administration. And so... Pharmacies need to hear from you, like Walgreens and CVS, who have already gone on the record saying, yes, we're going to pursue certification so we can become abortion facilities. So we're going to make it easy for you. We have a a petition that will be sent to them. All you need to do is text the word pharmacy. Text the word pharmacy, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, to 67742. That's 67742, 67742. You'll get a link and then you can uh, follow that link, fill out the petition, and we'll get it to, uh, to CVS uh, and to Walgreens. And this, I think, will send a message to other pharmacies that are contemplating whether or not they want to become abortion facilities. You can also find out more by going to TonyPerkins.com. Ever since a 2018 Supreme Court decision that legalized state-sanctioned sports gambling, One state after another has scrambled to legalize betting in the arms race for state revenue. Now, I actually got involved in politics years ago 
It's when I first ran for office over the issue of gambling in my home state of Louisiana. At one time, Louisiana had more gambling, more types of gambling than any other state, including Las Vegas. Now, it is, uh, it's had its effect on my home state. We had many elected officials, even a governor, go to jail, uh, go to prison because of the corruption related to it. And I also saw the personal effects of lives that were destroyed through gambling addiction. And I did my best to, uh, to rein it in during my time. Well, it is spread like a cancer across the country. And so they're, they're looking for any new way to create, create, I say, to find ways to draw money out of other. It, it's, just a, it, it's just shuffling. It's a shell game. It's just shuffling money from one area to another. And it sucks it out. It sucks the money out of an economy. And now we have this with red state governors, conservative governors who know better. Uh, governors like the governor of Oklahoma where lawmakers have proposed a bill in the coming 2023 legislative session to legalize gambling. Now, we have almost half the states now have some form of sports betting. But are we hearing about the social ills, the well-documented problems from gambling addiction? No. Who's covering that up? How come we're not hearing about that? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Dr. John Kite. He's Professor Emeritus of Business Administration at the University of Illinois. Professor Kite has studied and been outspoken on the issue of gambling for the past four decades. In fact, I used a lot of his research back in my days in the Louisiana legislature. Professor Kite, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for all you do in informing and educating the public. And I, I would say you're absolutely right. Uh, I asked my students, uh, who is Stephen Paddock? Uh, you've heard about uh, Columbine. You've heard about Sandy Hook. But people haven't, don't, don't know who Stephen Paddock was. Well, he's the biggest mass shooter killer in the history of the United States. Killed at least 58 people, wounded 411, injured 867 total, uh, including that 411, in the Las Vegas uh, shooting that happened in 2017. And uh, the New York Times and uh, Ann Coulter and others have indicated that um, he was an addicted gambler uh, and that that was uh, allegedly or impliedly a motivation uh, in his shooting, uh, uh, choosing the situs that he did in order to uh, commit these atrocities. Uh, the other thing I would point out is that there was a referendum, two referendums actually in California for gambling. They spent $600 million, the biggest spending on a referendum to promote gambling or any issue in the United States ever. This is a group that has got billions and billions of dollars. They are dumbing down the legislatures. People haven't done their homework. Uh, but again, these small groups like uh, yours and uh, other charities like StopPredatoryGambling.org are up against billions of dollars in misinformation. And I would take one one quick exception with what you said. You said that that it's now legal to have sports gambling on the internet in these different states. Uh, I would draw an exception to that. We have a law review issue out of the University of Illinois. Nine articles of 14 blue ribbon academics, bipartisan, uh, and they indicate that this is a misinterpretation. The states are misinterpreting the Murphy decision 
uh, from 2018 by the Supreme Court. So um, if the Justice Department would simply start reinforcing Robert F. Kennedy's Wire Act, which he passed to prohibit gambling and, and, and organized crime activities, plus the 2006 Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act passed by uh, uh, Congressman Bob Goodlatte uh, and Congressman Jim Leach and others, uh, overwhelmingly, by the way, uh, if, if the DOJ would simply start enforcing these, uh, we would see a quick turnaround in, in what's going on in these states, which is injuring millions of people. And they're now target marketing kids. Right. Kids, kids, kids is their market. Well, and, and it's now gone to the cell phone. Uh, where in it's in it's created in such a way to be very very addictive and and I know back when when I was working on this twenty years ago back then you had an addiction rate of about ten percent I think with cell phones and that type of immediate reaction it's even higher today. Well, I've heard ministers uh, uh, look at the numbers of kids getting hooked on this and they're calling this an involuntary tithe of our children to the idols of gambling. And they're also talking about the new new prayer uh, system. You've heard of the Our Father and uh, the Our Mother uh, prayers. Uh, uh, ministers are talking about the, the latest Our Mother prayer, which is, come on, Lady Luck, baby needs a new pair of shoes. Well, there, there's something in that. Baby does need a new pair of shoes, but you're not going to get it by gambling. And uh, we've seen that uh, uh, children are again, being exploited, and in these video games as well, uh, actually one major game manufacturer just paid $520 million in a fine to the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, for violating privacy rules involving kids. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Right. And, but it does show that they don't care about half a billion dollars in fines because they're making billions exploiting children taking uh, advantage of vulnerable uh, demographic groups, including race-based groups. So, uh, Professor Kang, let's talk a little bit about motivation here. I mean, obviously for the gambling industry, it is money. As you talked about, they throw it around loosely. They suppress news, information. Uh, they, I, I saw it back in my time in, in office. Uh, campaigns roll around. They play a key role in political campaigns. They've got, uh, they've got a lot of money to deal with. But Let's talk about conservative red states that are just as much a part of this. What's the motivation for them to move down this path of more and more gambling? I, I think it's naivety. They, they bought into the PR pablum of the gambling industry, uh, and they're not listening to the academics. 98, 99% of academics across this country, tier one universities. I've mentioned the Illinois Law Review already. This is a big-time publication just within about a year ago, uh, and it, it shows that the academic community is, is revealing all of these problems that are involving gambling, plus the misinterpretations of federal laws and state laws uh, that are being uh, exploited by the gambling industry. If you look behind me, you can see... Uh, uh, multiple volumes containing thousands of pages, hundreds of reports, academic reports done in Congressional Research Service style, done for the Congress in many instances, 
indicating that that none of this works. This, the, the gambling industry is just full of PR pablum, and that's what gets my colleagues and myself so excited about this, is that it attacks every um, ethical norm and aspect of good uh, educational principles and academic principles, so, uh, as well as making everything worse, uh, all the social problems. Uh, the cost to governments are 3 to $12 for every $1 in benefits. The evidence on this is overwhelming. Um, bankruptcies, when you bring in gambling facilities, go up 18 to 42%. Crime goes up as people lose their money and resort primarily to property crimes. Uh, the Illinois Law Review, again, has these numbers, updated numbers in it uh, that have been current for 20 years. So uh, let me... 79% increases in crime. Let me ask you about 98%. You said you, you used the, the figure 98% of academics are clear on this, that they're, they're, the, the, the downside outweighs... Uh, the, the upside to legalize gambling. Is that information getting out there or is that being suppressed? Oh, it's being suppressed. Uh, the gambling industry uh, came up with it, uh, had, had so much, many problems back in the 1990s, and you may remember this, that they created their own law school in uh, Las Vegas because uh, allegedly they couldn't come up with uh, legal academics uh, who, could, who could promote their industry. Uh, and I have to compliment uh, all of my bipartisan academics for getting the numbers out there uh, as best they can. But uh, basically, the gambling industry owns the media. They own the PR. Um, they, they, they suppress all of this. They suppress the National Gambling Impact Study Commission, which was passed by Congress. And so there should be no uh, gambling on the Internet. Uh, there right. should not be an extension of sports gambling. You were there. You testified uh, before the commission. We testify under oath, by the way. Right. So if our numbers are incorrect, we're in trouble. But the gambling industry just promotes all this PR all over the place. And, and governors in red states and blue states are being totally deceived across the board. You and, know, and it's just too tragic. For, for me, as I've, I've looked, it's, it's, it's like so many of the other issues. It's about chasing the money. Where I, and it's, it's, it suggests that if it brings a profit, then it's worth it. Now, in this case, as you pointed out, and I've seen those numbers, and I've actually seen it in reality in my home state, that it creates more problems than it solves or pays for. But it, just reading articles coming out of Oklahoma, which I actually grew up in Oklahoma. It's a red state. It's a red, red state. Uh, it, it's a state where I went to high school, and, and, and I, I love the state. It's a great state. But he, the author of this bill trying to legalize sports gambling says, without it, they're losing revenue. They're missing out on revenue. And he, he says Kansas is reaping all of the benefits because people go across the border to gamble. And so it's as if if we can just get another dollar, it justifies this. But the evidence that is, suggests that, is so that this is destroying our children, our families. It's creating crime. It is impoverishing our people. Why would we do it? This, yeah, this, this is so silly. Uh, this is economics 101. Um, back in a congressional statement I gave back in 1994, I indicated 
cited to uh, Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Samuelson, who said, you know, this doesn't work. You're just shuffling uh, money around. But what you're doing is you're taking money out of consumer goods and consumer spending, and you're putting it into gambling. Well, you're taking it out of consumer spending, which is a positive multiplier effect of about three. So people who buy consumer goods then support jobs. They cr it, it expands the economy. Uh, gambling shrinks the economy. It's actually a cancer on the economy. No credible economist is going to say that gambling is win-win is on a strategic level. Um, and, and so I, I would just uh, urge people to to go back to the basics and and look at the academics on this. And, and like I said, it's economics 101, it's government 101, it's ethics 101. Uh, it's it's, it, it's it, gambling just undermines everything yeah. and it's going to hurt everything. It, it absolutely does. I've seen it uh, up close and uh, it, 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 it never has a good outcome. As you said, it just sucks money out of the economy. You lose the multiplying effect of those dollars. Uh, Professor John Kind, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as uh, well. You know, the, the Bible actually speaks. It. You know, Samson engaged in a little wager. You know what? It didn't work out for him either. Look, if you're in Oklahoma, you need to talk to your elected representatives in other states that are pursuing this. You need to do the same thing. This is not good. It's not good. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us on this Monday. Big week ahead, a lot coming up. We're going to be talking about the Republican agenda starting this week. Until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.